Hey, I'm Corey. And I'm Lori. And this is the Nurse Circle Podcast. Bam! Join the band as we gather in our Nurse Circle and talk all things weight-inclusive, haze, non-diet, and whatever else is nourishing us. This episode is sponsored by our band online store. See the show notes for links on products that you can order with the band logo. Lori, can we tell folks about what band means? Of course. Band is badass non-diet dietitians. So it's and, a short Yeah, and this was so fun. This actually, at the time of the recording, just happened last week, and you and I were all over making sure that we could get a t-shirt based on what happened on uh, Fiona Sutherland's Mindful Dietitian when she posted something for the holidays and had that badass non-diet dietitian. And we came up with that acronym pretty quick together, which was so fun how our brains are so synced. So um, we have to thank Fiona for this beautiful extension of our nerve. Today we are speaking with Aaron Flores, a registered dietitian nutritionist in Calabasas, California. Erin specializes in intuitive eating, health at every size, and helping clients regain body trust. Erin's goal is to help clients sleep behind the world of diets and body shame and embrace their relationship with food and their body with curiosity, self-compassion, and empathy. Erin is the co-host of the Dietitians Unplugged podcast that he hosts with Glennis Oyston. As well, you can follow Erin on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. In this episode, we talked to Erin about identifying with being a dad and how you work within the health at every size profession and what frameworks that Erin is currently identifying with while raising a family. We also talked about being two moms on this podcast and living with partners. How do you sort of live with that partner in this weight-centric environment and guiding them to be on board with this approach. And we also talked to Erin about withstanding the burnout in our profession and how do you sort of take care of yourself while standing against the grain of the diet world. Erin, um, thank you so much for joining Corey and I today on our Nourish Circle. Um, I'm super excited to have you. I've been following you on social media for quite some time. And thank you for having me. Well, your podcast was actually the first one I ever listened to of all the podcasts in the world. Really? Yeah. Whoa. So, that's no, awesome. No, I was, um, I started commuting really far for work and I just randomly one day Googled dietitian podcast and you guys were the first ones that came up. So that's yeah. awesome. I get our, our name finally worked, got us to the top. It did. <laughs> and thank you because I've been, um, I found you quite educational in my journey on haze and non-diet and everything. So thank you for that. Oh, you're um, welcome. Corey and I like to start with kind of just a little conversation about what frameworks you identify with in your work and any privileges you want to make the audience aware of. Um, yeah. yeah. So um, I work from a health at every size uh, intuitive eating perspective. I'm also a certified body trust provider. So that framework is really central to everything I do now in my work uh, and 
body trust is or the body trust certification is a certification that was developed uh, around language and programs created by Hillary and Dana in Portland, Oregon, who owned Be Nourished. And I did that certification, golly, about uh, a year ago now. And that framework has really, really helped uh, strengthen my professional and, and personal practice. The, the other thing is the privileges. Uh, I'm a cisgendered, straight, white, male, um, heterosexual in LA. So, you know, the, in addition to all those, I also um, have a married. So I have a partner who um, helps support the family, who helps, you know, I have, I come from a place of privilege with respect to health insurance and financial means to travel and um, and take time off my work to do a podcast for an hour. Uh, so, so a fair amount of privilege. Um, I also identify as fat. Uh, that's just something that I choose. That's a word I choose to use, but that is one thing that, um, you know, with all those privileges that tends to sort of knock, knock some of them down, uh, just a, a slight peg, if you will. Yeah, thank you for that. I um I followed your I follow you on Instagram and I saw you going through the body trust um phase and it seems to me like it you could tell just from your post that um how much respect you had for the program and um your growth in learning. Yeah, no, well, I'm happy that comes across cuz that is uh that is completely accurate. I think what what Hillary and Dana created uh is has been really profound, not just for me, but for, I think for probably any um, provider that has gone through or is going through the program. It's a it's an interesting paradigm to move into mm-hmm. uh, this body trust work because it, it is maybe not the norm. It's it um, no, but this body trust work is really needed, especially in our eating disorder community. So it's been something that uh, has really helped helped my career just feel um, like it has a a really strong purpose moving forward. And it seems to me like the body trust, um, it's a very strong community. Like when you go through it, is it mostly in person or online or how does the process go? Yeah. So it's, um, it's around a six month process. If you are sort of up to date on things, Uh, the, the first week is an in-person training. I did mine in Portland and it's basically a week of learning. And I would say that learning is uh, definitely geared towards the individual and it's geared towards doing our own sort of body trust and embodiment work. Yeah. From there, each week there's a different online module. So the rest is done online. And each module has um, s- some readings or videos and then reflection and writing. And by the end, you have done and I, I forget how many it is, but it's, it's in the 20s, a number of modules. You've also, uh, they, they want you to, to write some copy for, for websites. You write a manifesto uh, and you do some book reports. Uh, there's a, so there's a fair amount of work that goes into, into it. And most of it is done virtually, but you're absolutely right. The community is probably one of the core foundational strengths of the work. And I, I, almost feel like every time I meet a, a new provider, I, I have an 
automatic connection with them because of what this work means to us. Yeah, that sounds so amazing. Um, and I really like the idea of working on yourself first because we can only take our clients as far as we've gone. A- absolutely. And, and especially with something like Body Trust that, you know, the, the components are, um, you know, the components have, have maybe been out there, but like putting them all together is, is new even for providers. So you have to be able to sort of do some introspection and some own personal work before you apply this to our, to, yeah. with our clients. Yeah, that's really cool. I've been looking into it. I think it looks amazing. It's worth every, every moment, yeah. to be honest. And I'm yeah. not a paid sponsor in any way. No. <laughs> No, and I'm going into like a, a training that you did, not necessarily your own work, but it was something that, again, I just I noticed so much um, in your posting and conversations and even like just all your social media stuff going through it and after that you could tell it was just so profound. Mm, cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little uh, deep dive into my Instagram and check it out, see, how it, <laughs> see if I can see that too. <laughs> well, I noticed it way up here in Canada. <laughs> cool. Yes, I'll agree. I was looking in a body trust too, so we'll uh, we'll definitely have to stay in touch with that. Um, I loved hearing about that, and as someone from following your social media too, and and someone just coming out of being on mat leave, which in Canada is our year long maternity leave, um, mm-hmm. I feel like the last three years I've just totally been under the water just being mom. Um, so I'm just curious now that, you know, I feel newish to this whole parenthood of you identifying as a dad and how, how health at every size and body trust so far in your journey with family and even in partnership, how you found that has influenced your relationships. It's a really good question. And I think for, even if you're not a parent, uh, I think when doing this work influences influences all of us, not just in the offices where we work or however we work, but, but in our lives and whoever that might touch. So, so yes, I mean, I, I have, um, I'm married, I have kids. So of course that plays out into that relationship with them. And I would say it also plays out into my relationship to my family of origin um, as well. So I think one of the things, the main influences that I've seen is this, is before, because I came to, so like if we, if we look at the, uh, the calendar or the, 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 <laughs> the timeline, excuse me, the timeline of, of how I came to this work, I started with intuitive eating. Uh, and the next thing that, that I read about or, or embraced was health at every size. And then I would say the last part was, was body trust. And so if we look at that timeline that coincides with my family, I think each of those things were really important influences at like the time. And what I mean by that is, especially raising kids, I was, you know, really learning about intuitive eating and embracing intuitive eating and trying to apply that uh, in our home, not just with my, my partner, but also with my, with my kids. And that really influenced how I thought about, thought about food and how do we, as a family, want to feed our kids and, and what kind of culture and, and, and um, not methodology, but like what, what sort of environment do we want around food? So that was really important. And then the other, you know, as, as you know, I learned more about health at every size, that 
also was like sort of perfect timing as my kids got a little bit older, my, my, my partner and I got a little bit more into our marriage and, and we started to focus, take some, you know, after that year, you get to focus your, on yourself just a little bit more rather than these, uh, these kids that are requiring 24 seven care. Right. Um, and that, you know, that it sort of applied to us. Like how do we now like do some things that are really neutral self care for us that are not about, you know, getting each of our pre-baby bodies back, right? And realizing that our bodies have never left. They've been with us the whole time. And, wow. and so, you know, there's nothing to get back. There's just how do we accept what we have now and do the best we can with what we got right now. Um, and then for body trust, I would say the biggest thing that I've applied is learning and and struggling with being vulnerable to... Uh, everyone in in our house and re- coming you know coming to this work a- as a human and saying like I'm not going to be perfect like I'm going to screw up and I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to lose my temper and and say something that I regret saying but what makes this really unique is being able to be vulnerable and saying I was wrong I didn't I wasn't my best self right there 10 minutes ago, an hour ago, yesterday. And I'm, and I'm, I, the reason that happened is X, Y, and Z, but it, it, but I'm trying to do better. Right. So being able to be vulnerable to the entire house, our community, right. Our little (laughs) four person community, it has been really important in teaching our kids that message of how to be uh, vulnerable and how to be able to sit with emotions and even, you know, the positive ones and the ones that are harder to, to sit with, but being able to tolerate the moment instead of, um, instead of having to lash out or to isolate ourselves or do all the things that seem very easy in the moment, but actually create more, uh, more barriers to, to being our true selves in the moment. That I just literally gave you a virtual invisible high 10 when you said that because I just said <laughs> I totally relate to that. And I think you know what I heard you saying is it's just this evolving journey for you. And Absolutely. I, and, and I see this so often, especially with dietitians, but even with clients where they think no matter what you're working on, that once you you get body trust. Once you get haze, once you get intuitive eating, mindful eating, that that's it. You're going to know it all. And that's just such a place of burnout because you, you get frustrated with yourself so easily for thinking that. And um, I really love the vulnerability. I mean, that, oh, that is like a gift to the profession of just saying, you know what? Yeah, I was wrong. Or what I said last year about this is not what I believe in today. And, and being able to just to own that. Yeah. Well, I, I listen, I think that's a, it's a beautiful thing to bring into the office with our clients to be able to say, I, I'm, you know, our, our Academy in the United States, um, the Academy of nutrition and dietetics, one of their long-term, uh, slogans has been registered dietitians are the nutrition expert Mm -hmm. and that's never landed very well with me part of the reason is because it sets up this hierarchy of knowledge in the office and that hierarchy to me gets in the in the way of some really important discussions and if someone feels like oh i I, this person 
knows more than me and, and, and they're going to tell me exactly what to do. It sort of gets rid of the personal narrative and the personal experiences that we all have. So when you asked me at the beginning, right, to identify my privileges to, you know, to then add, oh, but I'm the nutrition expert in this, you need to listen to me, really sets up a very, I think, patriarchal system of, you know, this is what I say, this is what you should do, and now go do it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, what we're talking about is saying, no, listen, I know, I know some stuff, you, you know some stuff, let's honor both of our wisdoms, and, and the goal is to help you be, have the wisdom around your body, not, not that's just in your head, but. I love that. It's so true. We need to listen to the stories um, of our clients and everyone actually to kind of figure out where we go. We're the same in Canada. We say, I think we say dietitians are the experts of food and nutrition. So I know I've read and it's never sat well with me either. To be yeah. honest. No. And there's actually a whole wave of, of things of colleagues that I really respect but you know that haven't quite done the same work in terms of this area of their profession as you, and you, you want to support them, but at the same time you're thinking like, no, that doesn't sit with me. I can't like that Facebook page. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's so cool. And it kind of leads me into um, sitting with the, the stories and listening to your clients. Um, you did something earlier this year, um, 100 Conversations with Men. Yeah, I, I, got, to, I got to around 30 before uh, life happened. And, and, but I, I did 30 of them. Uh, so I got a third of the way and I could, you know, hopefully we'll pick it up sometime soon. But yeah, I, I, did, um, I, tried, I just invited anyone, um, the complete strangers, right? I would just want to have conversations with men around body image and they were 30 minutes uh, and it was, it, it was great. I, I think I did the 30 over the course of around, I would say four months or so. Wow. That's amazing. And um, as I, I'm, uh, I identify as female and, and female and um, straight and I haven't really had a lot of conversations with men um, about body image, to be honest. Um, and I'm now raising one. So I'm interested as to if you heard any um, different narratives or any kind of interesting um, parallels, because we often think of body image. We often do talk about women more than men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. It is uh, a conversation that seems to be centered more around um, females and those who identify as female. I I would say that the number one thing for the the people who participated, what I found was they all said that this was probably the first time they had a conversation like this. Wow. That's and, 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 you know, there was for, for an N of 30, uh, it was, it was pretty diverse. You know, we got, I, there were folks of all different sort of age ranges, uh, people in their sixties, people in their, in their twenties. Uh, there were, you know, some, some folks all along the gender spectrum, uh, who were interviewed. And again, all of them said like, you know, this is something I've struggled with in different ways. Um, the stories are completely unique, but, but all of them said like, I've never really had this type of conversation with anyone or my friends. It's just, it, it's not something that is, is acceptable or that there is an appropriate space for in my life. 
Yeah, it's interesting because I mentioned it to my partner and I said, you should totally call. And he said, I have no idea what I would say. Um, I've never talked about my body in any way. Um, and right. so, yeah, and I guess it's interesting. Um, I'm curious if, if you gleaned any ideas of how, you know, we could talk to our partners or um, even my son about body. Yeah. In yeah. A way. yeah. You know, it's a great question. And, and especially as we think about like, you know, if we're, if you're listening to this and you're in this work yourself, right, you're a professional and you're like, well, how do I bring my family along in this journey with me? Um, It's it's a, it's a really good question. I would say this, I would say is especially, and, and I would, I would apply this not just to men, but for any marginalized voice that you're going to work with. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important to, to sort of understand is it's not, you know, working with men is not a unique skill set. All of us can do it. Um, and, and so what I want to say is we need to create spaces just to listen. You mentioned you'd like stories, yeah. you know, so I think it's about giving people space to tell their story and not to make any assumptions that, oh, just because this person played was a wrestler that this person is going to have some, you know, X, Y, and Z story around their body, right? Well, maybe they, maybe they do and maybe they don't. Or maybe this person, we're assuming they played athletics and that's where they got some body messages. Or, or maybe they, they didn't, right? I mean, I think the, the common narrative around men is that, it's, is that the body image is going to be maybe more around performance and 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 athletics and things like that but but it might not be and so i think checking our assumptions and just saying like tell me about what it was like to be in your body as a teenager and i you know and and giving someone a lot of ample room to talk around it the other thing that um you know we talked about these book reports that i had to do for body trust uh my body trust certification one of the books I read was a book called Manhood. And it's a, um, it's a book of, basically it's a hundred people who agreed to take a picture naked of their penis and then write an essay about it, about masculinity. And so there's a, so the, the format is picture and then story narrative. And in reading this book, it was really interesting for people to, to share their narratives around what it means to be masculine, how that relates to sexuality, how that relates to, you know, sort of performance in, in and out of the bedroom. Um, but, but what was really interesting is similar to body image. It, it was like this unspoken, uncommunicated issue that, so many people will struggle with. Uh, and, and I think reading that book sort of helped me get comfortable with saying like, why can't we talk about this? Why is men, why, you know, and I think that is how diet culture shows up for men is that we're not allowed to have certain conversations. And if we do, we turn into like the sixth, sixth grade version of ourselves giggling and like squirming in our seat. And, I think understanding that and again, sitting with that uneasiness is how we grow. And I I just wish that there were more places in our society where we could have 
as men those conversations without it feeling uncomfortable or without it um you know that the presumption is that like we're weak if we start to have that conversation as a group or even individually yeah that's so cool that's actually a very cool concept for a book when you the way you explain that that's amazing yeah well the author did a a, um a version for women also where it's uh a hundred pictures and, and it's of their, of their breasts. So it, it's, a, I forget her name. I'll have to, I could look it up right now as we're talking, but, um, but that's, it's a great book. Um, and she, it's a great couple books that she's written. And it's so true. It, those are the parts of the body that we often um, don't talk about, but then hold so much for us, whether it's yeah. or comparison that's that's quite brilliant, actually. Yeah. So the book, the, the male version is called Manhood, The Bare Reality, and it's by Laura Dodsworth. Okay. Very cool. We can always link to that in show notes, too. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because um, my children, like, I try to have body talks um, with them, and my oldest is a gymnast, and my youngest is... Um, um, just starting hockey and I've decided that I need to have the same conversations with the two of them about their bodies and their sports um, as they get older. And, but it took me a while to realize that it needed to be the same conversation. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I, I, I love that you're having a conversation with both and you know, my, my kids are, I have twins, so they're almost 11. Uh, and, and you know, it's interesting. Like I, I have done, tried to do the same thing. I've, I have a, I have a, um, a boy and a girl and trying to have the same conversations with both of them is really important, but also the nuances of each gender's experience needs to be also taken into account. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. My youngest one is like, Oh, are we going to have the talk that you just had with Ella? I'm like, yep, yep. Here we go. <laughs> uh, Sit down, hunker down. Yeah. I'm like, get ready. But it, it's interesting because they both now, when people, they hear stuff in change rooms or from other parents, they both have answers. Like it's like, Oh yeah, we, we don't need to not eat bread um, because we need the energy and it helps our bodies move and be strong. So it, it's good that I think we're having these talks and about what they need so young because it's amazing how diet culture filters into the world of a six-year-old. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, listen, it's hugely prominent even from a very early age. And, you know, both my kids are into their own things as, as yours are. And one of the things I try to sit with is, listen, they're, my son is not going to be messy. And my daughter is not going to be in Dina Menzel, <laughs> yeah. you know, like they're going to do these things for fun, yeah. but you know, I, they're, they're not, this might not be their career and that's okay. Like they can, it doesn't, it doesn't mean they can't enjoy it now. And it doesn't mean that my expectation of them, um, and it's, and, and this connects to their body, right? Cause mm-hmm. at, at some point you have your, your body can take you so far, right? It's just, this is your genetics yeah. and we need to embrace our genetics and yeah. not everyone is going to be messy. Um, yeah. and that's okay. Yeah. It, well, with being here, it's the hockey world. Yeah, right. Yeah. Gretzky. Right. I, yeah. We are not going to the NHL. This is fun. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm Listen, then, I was, I was going to say like, even if you get to moose jaw, that's okay. Right. I yeah, mean, totally. <laughs> I was like, if you just want to keep playing in this and maybe we've got some fun tournaments, here we go. There you go. <laughs> you know, like, I'm all for going away for a weekend. Um, but yeah, it, it's just so fascinating the way we, we do have to start talking about bodies and, and 
you know, genetics and capability and taking care of our bodies because um, like even talking um, to my daughter, as I said, she says gymnastics, it's the, you know, I want you to have a healthy, productive life when you're done this. So no, you don't push yourself to where you hurt and that kind of thing. Like it's all about taking care of your body now too. Yeah. Oh, I totally went off track. Sorry. No, it's good. I'm loving this conversation because I think as a parent um, and someone who has uh, male, female by birth um, children too, it's, it's, you know, getting into this whole world of gender neutrality and, and trying to understand as a mom, but also as a professional of, of how to implement that in your way that you raise your children because obviously society's expectations of what toys you buy and what clothes you put on them, yeah. and what you call them. Do you call them your son or daughter? You know, it, the more I do this work, the more questions I have. <laughs> and it's kind of stemming into the question around burnout of how do you not get so caught up in all of that, um, that to the point where you're just, your brain is going, okay, too many questions for you, like settle down. Um, I'm just curious how, yeah. how Aaron, you've managed that. Well, um, so my, my favorite all-time show is The West Wing. Um, and there's a, a scene in The West Wing where uh, one, you know, some of the characters are talking about, like, you know, it's basically the exact same question. And, and one of the characters answers and basically says, like, I don't have enough RAM to deal with that, right? I don't have enough memory to, like deal with everything and and you know as a when i first became a parent uh it was this my the the big concern right then was like bpa bottles oh yeah and, and it was like you know you got to have a glass bottle you got to have this bottle you can't have this one and and you know um my partner we just looked at each other at one point and said like I don't have the band. We don't have the bandwidth for this. Like we're going to get whatever darn bottles we're going to get. And like, and that's it. Like we had, we had twins. One was colicky. You know, we, there were times where one person was in each room crying, you know, kids included. Right. I mean, it's just being a parent is hard and we only had so much bandwidth to deal with what was in front of us. And so as a professional, you know, I, I just take that to heart too. Like I can't go down the rabbit hole of everything. Uh, I, I need to stay in whatever sort of rabbit holes I choose to be in um, and not feel like uh, I have to do it all. And one of the things I'll be honest that I, that dietitians never talk about and never is sort of included into our own professional um, I guess ethics or self-care is getting a therapist. And, you know, I recently found a therapist. Uh, it took me a long time and a lot of courage to finally find someone, but it was, it's really important because, I, you know, it's, it's that one person that I can talk about sort of all of this stuff in context and without, you know, with, and just feeling like there's some, uh, some support there. Like my partner is a huge support, but you know, there are some, but there is like, um, it's a, it's different. Like, you know, with your therapist, I, I don't know. I mean, and that's not bad. Uh, it's just, that's, it's like an hour of 
me vomiting from the mouth of just being able to like, these are all the thoughts that are going on, all the feelings unfiltered and here they are. I love um, that and, and, you know, we all need that. And it's, it's really a shame that our profession doesn't make that more compulsory because if you're working with eating disorders, even if you're not working with eating disorders, I mean, I think about the dietitian who's working um, in the oncology clinic, you know, I mean, what, what sort of emotions are coming up with that on a daily basis or the dietitian who's working in the pediatric NICU. Uh, There's a lot of emotion in our work. And I think unless you're having a place to to process those feelings, we're doing ourselves a disservice and burnout happens very quickly. So, so first off is I would say my therapist is really important. I'd say the other thing is I tend to, really connect with my community. I feel that that connection, you know, when you said, oh, it sounds like these body trust folks really, really uh, sort of connect with each other. Like I have a body trust call with some folks, you know, every few weeks and we just get on Zoom and we just talk, right? And and we just sort of are there for each other. We, we yeah, we're planning stuff down the road, but, um, and like maybe projects, but like we're also just talking. We're also just there to support each other. Uh, so, so that becomes really important also. And, and I think the last thing is this, is that my, if I look at my career, uh, it's not been stagnant. Um, you know, do I wish I, you know, had a busier practice or made more, it was financially more lucrative? Sure. But like every philosophical step that I've made along the way has been a place of growth. And so, you know, what I've realized is that with each new learning, right, there's a period of like internalizing and then a period of like, okay, what, what do I add on to this? And so I've, I've really just tried to be open about, I, you know, this is where these new things that I learn uh, are just additions and are going to like further my career. And the more I know it's, this is like a cliche and I apologize for it <laughs> ahead of time, but the more I know, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. Um, and, and I think the more we can internalize that, uh, the more humility we bring to this work. There's so much I don't know. Um, both, you know, when we, when we look at this as a social justice movement, when we think about doing our own work in that respect, um, honoring our privileges, all those things, there's so much I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I just, I, personally, what is helpful is knowing that there's going to be another learning curve that's going to come up and it's going to hurt a little bit, but getting through it is where um, a lot of joy comes from. Mm-hmm. I, wow. I think we need to spend way more time with you. However, <laughs> realize maybe having a, every two weeks we do a podcast interview with you because there's just so much amazing things that I can relate to and, just the truth about doing this work is you need to be vulnerable. You need to be open to this is going to be just an adventure, whether you're starting a private practice and embedding this in that work or in a clinic where everyone's weight centric or has no clue about this work is, is finding that self care in therapy or whatever it is that you need or relate to is it's just all part of this advancing yourself and or Absolutely. advancing yourself, but advancing your, your understanding as you unpack it through your life. So I love that. It's, oh, 
it's, it's exactly where I feel I am right now. I can totally relate to everything you're saying. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think it's so amazing that every study who we've asked, um, how do you go against burnout talks about the same thing about getting therapy, like having a therapist and that our profession does not do enough to tell us that we should be doing that and needing that. Um, because I so agree. I think that you hit the nail on the head to use a cliche. Um, when you said, um, that it's a lot of emotional work. Um, yeah. If we're doing our jobs the way we should be doing our jobs, I think we're, we are listening to stories and we are like hearing about a lot of pain that people go through and illnesses and life situations and trauma and, um, and, you know, we don't spend enough time learning time or any time really, I think, um, in our training to know how to deal with that personally. And there's yeah. so much pressure in the dietetic profession. I mean, obviously it's in other professions, but this whole, that we are the expert. And I think that's probably where it, well, maybe not starts, but that's where I found coming out of school is that I had to have this persona as the yeah. I'm wondering like, you know, for, for each of you, like in Canada, I mean, this is one thing I noticed about my experience here, here in the States is that, you know, by the time I was done with school, I really sort of felt like um, my job was to fix it, you know, and to fix all the sort of nutritional problems that, that came in either into my office or like public health wise. Um, and that, that was really challenging, right. To sort of say like, Oh, but you know, come into my office. Okay. How can I fix this problem? Yeah, I think it's, um, I felt pretty similar. Actually, by the time I was done my training, I didn't want to be a dietitian. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, I was like, I just, I had a few rotations in my internship where I was literally like, I can't do this, what you're mm -hmm. doing. Um, and it wasn't until I actually had an eating disorder uh, rotation that I finally felt like, oh, I could do this. Um, mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I, and I might be comfortable. I was really fortunate to have a rotation that was, um, haze informed when I went into the eating disorders. Um, and that, that I think is the only reason I stayed in the profession, to be honest with you. Um, I was kind of done by that point. Um, oh, what a blessing. Do, <laughs> and I think that that really, I don't, I don't, this is something I feel I'm just noticing more and more is, you know, this course that I'm teaching right now is a counseling course. And the colleagues who have taught it previously told me they didn't enjoy teaching that course because they've never counseled. So I think, well, yeah, you probably wouldn't because you haven't done it, so you don't, you don't have the story or the stories. And, mm -hmm. and I think in dietetics, that's the same thing. When I graduated, it was like, you need to get a hospital job because that's, that's like the, you know, the golden job. If you get that, you're set for, for your career. And I hated every minute of that job. <laughs> I could not wait to get out of that job. Um, and you know, the people I worked with told me I was crazy for leaving that job because I would never get anything better than that. And it puts this doubt in you thinking, well, if this is the way I have to be as a dietitian, I, I don't want to do it. Yeah. So I'm glad, you know, I think I love the, the podcast world for that reason, because it really helps people who are in that spot of I'm not enjoying this and feeling burnt out or emotionally disconnected from their work. And I, I hear it all the time with mentoring colleagues through that transition of 
there is another way. So that's why I'm so glad you do what you do to, to help be that voice that it doesn't, you don't have to feel like that anymore. So thank you for doing that work. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so around here, we like to finish up by asking you, um, what's currently nourishing you. It can be something, um, professional. It can be something personal. You can do one of both, but what do you find that's nourishing you right now? Uh, so, well, I'm going to go two different, uh, two things here. So one is, um, I just finished professionally. I just finished reading, uh, a book called binge eating disorder, the journey to recovery and beyond. And it's written by Amy Pershing with Shavise Turner. And it's amazing. It's a great, uh, um, I think it's probably one of the best books I've read about, uh, this eating disorder. And, you know, it's mixed with sort of a narrative, a personal narrative, but also a lot of clinical neuroscience and things like that that are going to make sort of both sides of our brain really happy. Uh, so definitely check out that book. Um, the other thing that keeps me going is music. Uh, and I've sort of just realized that I bought myself a pair of really good headphones uh, and I have a great uh, playlist on Spotify that I try to cultivate and um, I really enjoy listening to music I really like loud music so uh, there's a lot of heavy metal there's a lot of Metallica on there but there's something about listening to music that helps me feel really energized it's probably a great um, emotional outlet for me um, so I would say those two things are sort of what I'm uh, quote unquote grooving on right now that's amazing now is your playlist on spotify shared or is it private oh i'm happy to share it it's, uh, so i call it a jag playlist right for any of us who have kids that we know what a jag is it's when our yeah. kids sort of get stuck <laughs> on one food and that's all they eat uh so i have a jag playlist awesome. um, that, and, oh my gosh that's <laughs> And it's, it's literally like the songs I want to listen to just over and over and over and over again. And my sort of unwritten rule um, is that if I start fast forwarding that song, you know, repeatedly is that I take it off and I try and put something else on. Um, so it's not just, you know, a lot of loud stuff, but there's some Nina Simone on there. There's some Prince. There's some uh, Sinead O'Connor. Uh, yeah, it's, it's all over the place. Um, so yeah, I'm happy to share it. Sure. That's awesome. I, I, I love listening to other people's playlists because I think it, do you? yeah, it totally gives you like ins, a little bit of insight into them. So, I, so here's, uh, so here's where I get to like be totally vulnerable. I, I don't know wh- how to share it. Right. I, if I go on Spotify, I guess I can just go to my playlist and there's probably a button to say make public. Yeah, um, but I can totally do that. That's so cool. Thank you. Yeah. I will have to find my Spotify password. <laughs> <There>. <laughs> I cannot help with that, but I can. <laughs> I am one of those pa- terrible password people who comes up with a really good password and then forgets it. <laughs> oh, listen, we could probably have a whole nother episode around our, our, uh, our password fiascos. Oh, always. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. That's awesome. Yeah, of course. Yeah, this has just been such a wonderful time. I feel I feel so rejuvenated and calm just from listening to your stories and the connection. And I'm so thankful for you sharing your time with us to uh, be able to do that and just to connect. Yeah, well, so thank you. Awesome. So where can we find you? And for folks that aren't really familiar but are just loving the 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 connection that that we are having, 
where do you want us to direct folks to? Yeah. Well, first off, you mentioned uh, my podcast. So I, I co-host a podcast with Glennis Oyston, a fellow uh, Canadian, um, and it's called Dietitians Unplugged. And it's amazing. Yeah, thank you. It's on <laughs> iTunes uh, and Spotify and Google Play, anywhere you get your podcast. Uh, you can find us there. It's called Dietitians Unplugged again. Uh, and my website, um, I just bought a new yo- URL, which I'm really happy about. It's called Smash the Weightriarchy. Oh, dot com because uh, that's my new business logo I, I a friend of mine drew something and I was like oh my god that's awesome I that want amazing. that to be my logo and, I, and so I we sort of I bought it from her um, and um, so so you can find me at that that's my website but I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook and Twitter um, and my username is at Aaron Flores RDN so any of those places are a great place to sort of check in with me. And then, um, so the, the big thing also I want to just announce is that in January, I will be doing another men's body trust group. And it's a virtual group um, for men to focus on this work of body trust. And it's a six-week course. Uh, I did my first one in September. It went really well. Um, we had about uh, five to seven uh, men and people who identify as, as male join the program. Uh, and so I'm going to be doing another one in January. So keep, keep an eye out for those. And they'll be able to find that on your website? Yeah, on my website and on my social media. Awesome. Well, Aaron, and check me out on Spotify too. Like I guess listen to my JAG playlist. And if you don't like it, you don't need to tell me. Just don't listen. No, exactly. That's the best thing about putting stuff out like that. You know? Right? <laughs> Aaron, thank you so much. Um, I can't believe I've gone 50 minutes without throwing out some ridiculous Star Wars reference, but um, that's the I, next episode, I guess. We have something to look forward totally. to. Totally. I, um, I, when you the other day you posted a mini Yoda, and I was yeah. like, oh, his clients bring him Yodas. I love that. So oh, I, yeah, I have a little shrine now. I have about four or five little Yoda things in my office. It's my son calls me uh, Darth Mama. Um, oh my god, I love that. Yeah, which is like the most endearing thing he could ever, ever say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we all have our own lightsabers, and when things get really rough around here, we battle. <laughs> oh, my God. That's awesome. Um, but thank you so much for joining us in our Nourish Circle today. Um, like I said, I've been a fan forever, well, for mm. a while. Um, so it's been quite an honor. So thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. Yes. And we will definitely have you back. We'd love to. So thank you for sharing your time with us. It's just been awesome. My pleasure. I'd love to do it. Great. Thank you for being part of our Nourish Circle today. We hope you join us next time.